Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. Hey, happy anniversary. Did you know it's your anniversary? Yeah! yeah. Happy anniversary! That's why there's popcorn out there. It's our third year anniversary in this building. Now, as a campus, we're 11 years old. Uh, what is that, middle school? So we're like middle schoolers now. Uh, but happy anniversary. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I, I just want to, in light of that kind of accomplishment, just a reminder to us that God is doing uh, really good things, not just in us as a community, but, but in each of us individually. He desires to do good things. And what we're talking about today as we look at the prophet Daniel is, do you trust God with your future? Do you trust him with your future? Because I, I, I think if we're honest, you might have this different perspective. I know the future I have planned, and I don't want God or anyone else to mess it up. Is that how you feel? I mean, that's the biggest struggle we have. We may struggle because we don't believe in God, or maybe we do believe, and yet we're afraid he's going to ruin what we have planned. What if God wants me what I do not want? But if God is love, and if God created you for love and peace and joy, as Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think God knows how to give good gifts to his? But I want you to just be open and honest in your own heart. Is there an area of your life in which you struggle to trust God with your future? Are there areas of your life where you feel you know better than God how to move forward in, when it comes to relationships or your career or finances or family? Or, or do you feel like you have asked God for help and he isn't coming through and so you've decided to take matter, matters into your own Hands. Now, I've been there. Many of you have heard the story. Uh, my wife and I, uh, for years, were not on the same page about where we should be living. We grew up in Texas and Dallas, and we lived on the West Coast. In the end, for 17 years in Seattle and Los Angeles, but for about three years in Los Angeles, we were not on the same page, and we argued all the time. She really wanted to move back here, and that was never going to happen, according to me. <laughs> and, and so we really, it created tension in our marriage. It created lots of arguments. For three years, we were not on the same page about our future. And one time I was at my parents' house. They live about 45 minutes west of here. And I heard my wife talking to my mom and my aunt and my daughter. And all four had decided to start praying that God might open the door that we could move from California back to Texas. I overheard them. And I don't like it when people are praying things to happen in my life I don't want. <laughs> and it was a long three-day drive back to California. And Deb and I would just argue in frustration. Again, we were just not on the same page. And I reluctantly agreed by the end of this three days, okay, I will pray, but I already know his answer. We're never moving back to Texas. <laughs> So on the very first day I decided to pray, I was praying, God, 
do you want us to live in Texas? Or do you want us to stay here in California? And I think I know the answer. So God, would you change my wife's desires? Help her to love where we are. And that was kind of the prayer I was praying. And as I walked into LA Fitness, which is the gym where I would work out about once every six months. (laughs) And so even that was kind of a minor miracle that day. And as I walked into the gym and I'm praying, God, do you want us to move back to Texas? I heard a song I'd never heard before and I've never heard since. It was this. So I was shaken. <laughs> that was like too explicit of an answer to my prayer. So surely that's not from you, God. That, that's just too obvious. And one thing after another just continued to happen. I even came across a passage of scripture that says, go back to your countrymen, those stubborn and obstinate people. That sounds like Texans. That sounds like me, stubborn and obstinate. I mean, Texans, we're the only ones that think of ourselves as our own country. I even had fortune cookies that would say, your move back to the east will bring more creativity. Darn you, Payway. You know, like what? (laughs) Everything is conspiring against me. But godly counsel and even circumstances and an opportunity to move to Austin it became very clear this is where God wanted us. But after three years of arguing and resisting and fighting against not believing that God had my best in mind, it took me finally surrendering to him. Now here's the thing. God made it so clear this is where we're supposed to be, but it doesn't mean it's always been easy. But that doesn't mean it has not always been right. See, sometimes we look for God to just make things easy, but even the right things can be really hard. Being in the right place can be really difficult. But what I discovered is that Seattle and Los Angeles were actually preparing us for Austin, which really isn't Texas. (laughs) But I want to ask you this question, and as we look at Daniel today, I want you to be open and honest. Do you fully trust God with your life? Ask yourself that as we spend our time together today looking at Daniel. The first question is, do you trust God with your work future? Daniel was an outlaw prophet who had the audacity to do what God said, even when the powerful rulers said it would cost him his future. So let me give you a little bit of the context. Let me catch you up historically, which I hope you take note that what we're looking at is real, verifiable history. Now, I've had a chance to study different religious texts, and there's no other religious text like the Bible. Two things that make it really distinct. There's no other religious text that is actually speaking to all nations. Most are just speaking to a particular group in a particular part of the world. And second, the scriptures claim that God is doing something in verifiable history that you can actually check out. And God even claims that how you can know that he's the one true God is that he alone knows what the future holds. In the past couple weeks, we've looked at verifiable, specific ways that God told the future of the Messiah and whole nations, proof positive. It was written before what was happened as we looked at how the Dead Sea Scrolls and radiocarbon dating, we have prophecies that were fulfilled hundreds of years later in Jesus. 
But in Daniel, we're looking at a prophet in which God describes the future, not just of the Messiah, but of kings and nations. And therefore, God knows the future he has in mind for you and me. So let's walk through the history of the Jewish people. 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago, God creates the Jewish nation for two purposes, to record and preserve God's word in the scriptures and to reveal God's Messiah, Jesus, to bless all nations on earth. In 1500 BC, God tells Moses to rescue his people and that his people in the Exodus rescued from Egypt that they are set aside, there be a special, set apart, or holy people, a nation of priests. A priest helps others connect with God. And that begins to happen. 1,000 BC, so 3,000 years ago, King David was the king of Israel at its peak, and people from all over the planet would come to discover the God of Israel. But we saw over the last couple weeks that there is an unconditional covenant that God makes with us, that he loves us, invites us into relationship with us. But there's also a conditional mosaic covenant that if you follow God's ways, it will go well with you. But if you do not, then you will suffer the consequences. And so what we see is when you read the Old Testament, if you've ever thought, man, God in the Old Testament seems really angry. Have you ever had that thought? Oftentimes you're reading during a certain period of history where God is warning his people from going the wrong way. Just like a loving father would warn his rebellious kids to stop doing that, it will hurt you. It will be destructive. We just are reading these prophets who are reminding them, warning them, don't go this way. And yet they did. They keep on ignoring God, going their own way, even beginning to do the same evil things like sacrificing their children to false gods as all the other nations around them. And so God gives them over to what they wanted. And in 605 BC, Babylon attacks and enslaves Israel. And Daniel is a Jewish teenager taken to Babylon. In 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar destroys the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And so the book of Daniel is written from Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. The prophet Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Daniel. He's called the weeping prophet because he's God's last hope to turn their hearts back to God. But they stay hard-hearted. And so writing just before Daniel, he writes these words, which by the way, we're looking at Jeremiah next week. And if you want to read the bonus reading every week, you can read uh, in the scriptures to be ready for what we talk about next week. Just read Jeremiah 26 through 33. But listen to what Jeremiah writes in the midst of this time of devastation. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. He's referring to Babylon, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I think about the context right now. They are being destroyed by their enemy. And God is saying, I am still here for you. And then he says something really crazy. He says, I want you to work for the prosperity of your enemy. The one who's just destroyed you. Those that have actually taken you captive. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And then there's a promise that this is temporary. This suffering will only last for 70 years. Think about that for a moment. 70 years sounds awesome when you're like, Five. (laughs) 70 years from now, okay, when I'm 75, we get to go back to Jerusalem. But most of those reading this, the only encouragement they would have is that they might not get to see a return to the promised land, but the the children after them, the next generation could. See, they had a, a faith in God that went beyond just their own situation, trusting God for even the generation beyond them. Seeking the prosperity of Babylon. See, God wants us to thrive and bless where we are right now. To bless, to be a blessing in our country, in our city, in our company, wherever we're planted. Even in the midst of the worst disaster these Jewish people could imagine, God is promising them that when they look to him, they will find him and that they can trust his plans, that he has for them a good future. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that phrase, for I know the plans I have for you, and they're, they're good, and it's gonna bring you a future and a hope. But did you know they were written in the midst of a letter to those who are being taken hostage? That does, that's like the opposite of good plans. It's like the worst possible scenario. See, the thing is, we have to understand that God does not promise that all things will go as we want, but he will promise he'll be with us no matter what happens. And even still, there was a future and a hope they could look towards. And so here's Daniel and his friends taken as hostages and brought forcefully into Babylon. Now they were of the royal families and it tells us in the scriptures that they were smart, they were strong, and they were hotter than Chris Hemsworth. That's another way to translate the word attractive. And King Nebuchadnezzar notices and he puts them in his leadership development program because he sees they have potential. But this is not like any other leadership development program. The initiation fee is really steep. You see, Daniel and his friends were castrated because King Nebuchadnezzar did not want these good-looking young men to be a threat because he had a harem that he wanted to keep in check. So if you can imagine, here's Daniel in a place that has taken him away from his home, that has castrated him, that has forced him to live a whole new life, and yet he knows that God wants him to seek prosperity of Babylon, an evil and corrupt society. And what we discover is that Daniel and his friends are outlaws. They live counterculturally while in exile. You see, he was a faithful follower of Yahweh. And in that time, to be a faithful follower of God meant to live by a certain code, a kosher diet. But it's 
being violated every day because that's not what is being offered to them. Now, we know this diet as the Daniel plan. Have you heard of that? It's just fruit, vegetables, nuts. And God even knows the future of the best diet plans. Like I, I did the Daniel plan. I lost a lot of weight because I got so tired of fruits and vegetables and nuts. I would rather just go to bed hungry than eat again. <laughs> but Daniel had decided, you know what? I'm going to trust God with my future. And so he goes to his immediate boss and he asks to be let out of this situation, that they, they wouldn't have to eat things that go against their faith. Chapter 1 of Daniel. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned your food and drink. Now this is a great little mini study on faith in the workplace. See, God wants you to work hard to bless and prosper your company. This helps people be open to God when Christ's followers are good employees. Yet sometimes the company wants us to do things opposed to God's will and ways. And so then what? Daniel shows us what we can do. He respectfully asked permission. And then he realizes the real issue. See, the real issue was his boss was afraid of his boss. Have you ever been there? And so he comes up with an idea. He proposes a solution that meets his boss's concerns while still allowing him to follow God's lead. So he says this. He says, look, just test me and my friends on this Daniel plan, trademark Daniel. And we're going to just do this for 10 days. And if we're not healthier than the other interns, then do what you want. So at the end of the 10 days, they were healthier. See, God honors our obedience in multiple ways. We see it in Daniel chapter 1, now verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or you know them probably as their other names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you know that from the Veggie Tales version of this story. Now, if you know this story, and you even read it this past week, you can see over and over in this story, God rewards Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness, for living these countercultural lives. And so in this passage, we see that Daniel is given the ability to interpret the king's dreams, and it increases their influence even more. So let me ask you, do you trust God with the future of your career? Or do you find yourself scared to live your faith out at work because it might hurt your career? Or do you compromise what you know is God's will and his ways just so you can get ahead? Or do you trust God with your future plans, knowing that his future plans for you are good? Can you see that you can both work hard to bless your company and be the best employee because you can serve God first and if they ask you to do things that are counter to his will or ways that he can be trusted, even if it means you need to have a hard conversation, risk being fired, or even quit. What we see here is that he came up, Daniel came up with a mutually beneficial solution that honored his boss and was even rewarded by his boss's boss. I know sometimes this is difficult. 
Have you ever worked somewhere where people are fudging the numbers, not being honest about the product, want you to lie to customers, they're cooking the books? What do you do in those moments? Do you just go with the flow? Or are you willing to step into those moments, risking your future in order to do what God wants you to do? See, what we see in the story of Daniel is that the more you trust God, the more he honors it. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. I mean, what we see in chapter two is the king has a dream and he tells all the sorcerer, all the wise men, including Daniel's crew, that they need to tell the king what the dream was and interpret it. That's pretty difficult. They're saying, just, just tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it. He's like, no, if you're really so smart, then you tell me what I dreamed. And if you do not, I will kill you. So Daniel finds out about this plot that will take his life. And he says to his boss, hey, go back to the king and tell him, I need a couple days, but I will come to you and tell you what dream you had and interpret it. It's bold. And so a couple days later, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along, along with some others, are praying, and Daniel has the dream, the same dream, and he's able to go and interpret it to the king. And it has to do with nations and, and who's coming next, and the, the king has power, and the king was amazed, and so he gives them even more responsibility. But then we see in chapter three, this dream of a statue, the king decides to Make it real life. And so he builds a big statue. This king has gotten a big head, like a really big head, like 90-foot tall statue, kind of big head. He thinks he's God. Now, I know your boss might act like he's God, but this guy actually thought he was God. And he declares that everyone must bow down before him and worship this statue or else getting fired. Now, not like our kind of fired, like literally on fire, like thrown into a fiery furnace. That's one terrible non-compliance policy, right? And so what happens, you can see in this picture, this is not an actual photograph of the moment. Although this was a real place in real time in history, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down. Daniel and his three friends, they refused to bow down and worship the statue because the first of the Ten Commandments says, worship Yahweh only. He's the only true God, and all others are counterfeits. We've been showing that history foretold is how God proves this. But look at what happens in Jan Daniel chapter 3. The king said, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God, gold you have set up. I love this demonstration of faith. They say, our God is able, and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't turn away from him. Now, that's trusting God with your career future. Remarkably, God delivered them through the fire. 
They survived. And Nebuchadnezzar is amazed and realizes there's no God like Yahweh. And not only does he promote them into running the, the province of Babylon, but God uses that to humble this arrogant king and lead him to faith. So let me ask you, do you have an if-then type of faith or an even-if faith? An if-then faith says, if I do this, God, then you have to do that or I'm not following you. I think this could be a really big issue for us. An if-then faith. An if-then faith is the type that struggles to trust God when things get tough. We say to God, God, if my husband or my wife makes me happy, then I'll stay with him or her. But if not, I won't. Or, or if this roommate will help me, or, or if my parents will help me out financially, or if my boss gives me a raise. We, we have all these conditions to doing the right thing. But God wants to help us to develop an even if faith. See, when you're in a situation that's difficult, turn to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because many of us will give up too soon. Many of us will do just as the world does and take revenge. But what if we were to trust God even in the most difficult situations? To have the kind of heart that says, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe that you will deliver me through this tough situation. But even if you don't, I will still trust you. That's the kind of faith that God honors. It's the kind of faith he uses to change families and companies and neighborhoods and cities. You've demonstrated that kind of faith. If you're new to Gateway South, let me just brag about this church family you're visiting today. This church family over the last eight years has helped my family in, in a city that's growing big and growing fast, you've helped make this big city feel like a small town. You have created the space, not just for me and my family, but for my friends. You've created the space for people to come and discover that they can truly be who they are with their doubts and with their struggles and know that they are welcome here. Now, you may not know this, but South Austin is considered the church planter's graveyard. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but if you build it in South Austin, they don't necessarily come. In other places, you just put up a new church and people flock to it, not in South Austin. And that's why it's so amazing that, that you've helped us make it to 11 years. You've helped us get to the place where we're celebrating three years in this space. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, we've been able to make a real impact. Just, just a few statistics. Over the last three years, listen to this. Over the last three years, over 200 people have been a part of recovery, learning to work the steps, finding life and freedom, being a part of our support groups. Over 180 people have been baptized as followers of Jesus. We've seen hundreds of people visit and find a place where they know that they can come as they are. Together, we've given over $400,000 towards our local and global partners helping those in the greatest need. We've seen over 500 start serving, whether that's serving on Sundays or serving the homeless or business leaders or our deaf community. 
or singles or couples or in neighborhoods like Circle C and Buda and Dripping Springs. We've seen 400 start growing spiritually in life groups. You and I, we've been a part of planting a campus in Central Austin that meets at McCallum High School, and we're sending out Buda, Kyle, and Pflugerville to start new campuses. We've seen more people in their 20s, more teenagers, more children, and more babies get connected at Gateway than ever before. Quick plug, by the way, if you have a baby and you want to dedicate that baby, that's coming soon. Sign up for the class at the Connect Spot. But we've also had over 100 of us travel across the United States or internationally serving people in need. Even this year, our teenagers are going to Puerto Rico, and we have a team going to Japan to serve a family. First time in the eight years I've been here that we're sending out a family as missionaries to another place, the Andersons. Let me show you the Andersons moving to Japan, coming up very soon. Moving to a place where less than half a percent follow Jesus. And you can be a part of of praying with them and helping them. Just get a card at the Connect Spot for more information or or join us on this trip this fall as we serve at the Rugby World Cup or next year as we go and serve at the Tokyo Olympics. But God has been so good to us and has moved so powerfully through your generosity, your faithfulness and serving. And recently, again, if you're new, I'm just... I just want to share something with those of us that call this uh, our church home. And if you're new, just for a second, just we'll let you into a little family meeting. But, but I, we've been talking about being a little bit behind in our budget. And, and remarkably, because of your generosity and a few strategic cuts, we're actually fine now. We're going to break even at this current trajectory by the end of August, which is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And... and and I celebrate that, and I'm grateful for that, but for the last two weeks, I've felt just a little sense of God wanting us to trust him even more. You see, we have, in order to build this building out, this was, by the way, an abandoned building for six years, just sitting here. And we were able to move in three years ago and bring life and freedom to people in this space and, and life in a, a part of the city that so desperately needs it. But in order to do so, we, we took out a, a no-interest loan that basically comes from our general fund, our Gateway General Fund. No-interest loan. That's awesome. Like, that's the greatest loan you could possibly have. And there's no real need to pay it back. There's not like a time frame. And so we're just kind of giving a little bit and a little bit. But over the last couple of weeks, I just really felt convicted. What if God wants us to trust him even a little bit more? Like, what if we were to pay this off? And about the same time, we discovered that we're up for uh, uh, renewing our lease for another six years in this space. Wouldn't that be great? Stay here at least another six years. And so I've pitched to our executive pastors, to our board. I I I want us to say yes, that we want to lock in for the next six years as we, over the next several months, pray for and pay off what we owe. Now, here's the, I did the math. You'll be proud of me. I, I got a, a business degree, so I, I remember how to use a calculator. And, and there's about 800 people who consider, 800 adults who consider this their, their church home. If all of us just gave an extra $500 than we currently give between now and August, we'll pay it off all that we owe. 
Now, I realize not everyone can pay $500, so what if, what if you can just pay an extra $50 more than what you currently give? But then there may be some others that can give $5,000 more than they currently give, and some even more than that. But here's the thing. If 800 of us, I don't know if you know this, but about 50 people, their tie, they, they give 10% of their income, that funds half of everything that we do here, just 50 people. So what if there were more people that decided, you know, I'm going to trust God. I want to start giving to God 10% of my income through my local church family. And maybe that's not where you're at. Maybe, maybe you give every once in a while, but maybe your next step is to start giving regularly. Maybe that's your next step. Or maybe you're here and you don't give at all, and that's, that's fine. But if God's prompting you to start giving, about 400 of us out of the 800 give something. But if we all just prayed about it, just between now and Easter, I just want you to ask God to, to pray. God, do you want me to give above and beyond what I'm already giving? Or do you want me to start giving? And if you want to do that, all you got to do is just text the word gateway to 77977. Follow the links and just whatever we give towards Gateway South campus offerings above and beyond at the end of August will go towards paying off what we owe. And that allows us to be able to help other campuses when they might be in need. You see, I want to have an even if faith. I don't want to have an if-then faith. God, if you come through, God, if this happens, then I'll trust you. I want us to have an even if faith, always stretching beyond where we currently are. You see, the world needs us to be who God's created us to be. And what I love about the story in Daniel is that we learn that God is inviting us to trust them. And it may not always be easy, but it will always be right when you're following him. I want to invite you to live that kind of life with us. Well, later we see in the story of Daniel, he's got a new king. Right when he got the other one to trust him, now there's a king of the Medes and the Persians. And they have a corporate policy that's even more brutal. There's not a statue. They say no praying aloud. Well, Daniel will not stop praying. And so as a result, his colleagues turn on him. They say, hey, that guy Daniel is praying. And so their policy of, of no compromise is basically, all right, if you disobey, even though I like you, Daniel, I'm throwing you into a lion's den. That's way worse than the punishments at our work, huh? And miraculously, Daniel survives. Once again, remarkably, he is moved up and influence. See, you and I, we have to trust God with our future. And wherever you work, are you there for what you can get from it? Or are you there to serve God, knowing that he's put you there for a reason? The next question I want to ask you is, do you trust God to rebuild a new future? See, Daniel has these dreams and these visions, and God gives him a layout of the coming kings and kingdoms right up to the coming Messiah. Listen to this remarkable passage written 500 years before Jesus. Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. If you remember, Jesus referred to himself throughout his ministry as the son of man. He's referencing this passage. The son of man approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never 
be destroyed. Remember, this is not a Christian text. It's a Jewish text written 500 years before Jesus. And remember, the creed for Judaism was there is only one God. Worship God only. And yet here is this mystery of an ancient of days, the Father and the Son of Man, the Messiah. One God represented in two ways. And throughout the scriptures, we also find the, the third way that God reveals himself as spirit. But here's what's remarkable. Daniel has this remarkable vision of the coming Messiah, and for the next 10 years, nothing. So when we read stories like the story of Daniel, it's like, man, this guy is surviving fiery furnaces, and Daniel's surviving the lion's den. Like, it'd be easy to trust God when we're seeing all these miracles. It'd be easy to trust God when there's all these visions, but for 10 years, there was nothing. There's nothing written in those 10 years because nothing was happening. But in those 10 years, Daniel continued to pursue God, continued to seek after God, continued to read the scriptures and to pray and to faithfully follow him. And after these 10 years of silence, which can be faith-shaking, Daniel has another encounter. Listen to what happens in Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, another king, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He ends up praying and confessing the wrongs of himself and his people, asking God to forgive and to come and lead and guide the Jewish people again. And it's in this context that God reveals what's going to happen next. The angel Gabriel shows up and begins to describe the future of the Jewish people through whom the Messiah would come. He gives us this very time when the Messiah will come. I don't have time to get onto all of this, And so we'll post it on my website, ericbryant.org, or you can go to our Gateway South Facebook group page. But it's remarkable to see how God in Daniel predicts the day, the year that the Messiah would come. And so here's what I want you to consider. Do you trust God with your whole future? If the God of the universe can know what's to come. And he knows what's coming for you. Scriptures tell us that he has good plans for you. In fact, he created you to do good works. You were designed as a masterpiece with intention. But here's the thing, you have to understand, God's love for you is freely given and we must freely receive it. And there's a distinction. You need to understand, doing the right thing isn't how you get to God. It's because of God's love for you that you want to do the right thing. See, a conditional relationship with God, and if then, it's more religion. But a real relationship with God is an even if kind of faith that says, God, I trust that what you did through Jesus is what I need. And because of your love for me, your sacrifice for me, I'm willing to sacrifice to become who you've created me to be.
And so what I want you to do during this song the band is about to play, I want you to consider what is God asking you to do? In which relationship is he asking you to trust him again? Is it in your home? Is it where you work? Is it with your extended family? See, the scriptures tell us that you were put at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives you the best opportunity to find God. And some of you are thinking, wow, that's really lovely, except for I don't like this time in history or place on the planet. I don't like my family of origin. It's because of them I don't believe in God. What if God put you in that family so that you might find healing, so that you can bring that healing back to everyone older than you and for everyone that comes after you? See, God wants to redeem the broken parts of our life and use us to be healers for those around us. So consider what is your next step? What do you need to surrender as the band leads us in this song?